Good morning and welcome to each one of you. It's good to see a few visitors here with us this morning. Trust you can be uh, blessed and encouraged with our time together here this morning. I'm going to ask you a question and uh, you can show your hands if you care to. You don't have to, but I'm wondering how many of you are satisfied with your prayer life? If you're satisfied with how your prayer life goes, I'd like to see your hands. How many of you struggle with prayerlessness, at least at times? I'll be the first to put my hand up. In recent months, I've been thinking quite a bit about prayer, um, probably because it's something that I feel such a need in my own life. Why is it that it's so hard to make prayer a priority and to give it the attention that it, it deserves? I've read several excellent books on prayer, and there were some good insights and some good pointers there that you know I've tried to implement in my life and to think about. Following the, our time together as a leadership team back in early March, we decided we want to take some time and just uh, at some of our meetings at least to focus on just personal growth uh, among us as a leadership team. This past Tuesday morning we were together and we started exploring a three-part study on a leader's prayer life, um, which was uh, very challenging and convicting. We just looked at the first part of that. And then Friday evening, uh, my wife and I had the opportunity to listen to five and a half hours of preaching and teaching on prayer and uh, fasting and um, the pursuit of God. The concept of this idea of concentrated time of study came out of uh, this David Platt, who was the one who did the preaching, visiting persecuted churches around the world. And when they're together, they spend extended time together. Uh, they will spend up to 8, 10, 12 hours solid preaching, teaching, studying, because they want to soak in as much as they can. So the service started at 7 o'clock on Friday evening, and we dismissed at 1.30 a.m. Uh, we had three breaks in there uh, for about 15 minute, three 15-minute breaks. We spent about 20 to 30 minutes praying for persecuted Christians in Somali. But the rest of that time was spent, David Platt spent preaching through 125 passages of Scripture. We went through this book in five and a half hours. We wrapped up at 1.30 in the morning. He um, started in Genesis and worked his way through Revelation. What does the Bible teach us about prayer, fasting, and the pursuit of God? And it was so powerful on so many levels. Uh, it's hard to even know how to start synthesizing what you heard. It's like trying to drink from a fire hydrant. There was just so much good information. And the one thing I came away from very convinced that me personally and we as a church have neglected a critical aspect of what it means to be a Christian. 
So this morning, I'm going to be drawing heavily from what uh, I heard on, um, on Friday evening, and, um, and I make no apology for it. I've entitled this morning's message, Prayer and Fasting, and I think I left uh, my clicker laying down here. I'm just going to start very simply, you know, what do we mean by prayer? Conversation with God. I mean, and... You know, we have a lot of questions. How does it work? When, how does God answer prayer? When does he answer? Why is it that I feel like prayers don't go anywhere? Um, and, you know, there's a lot of questions that go with prayer. Fasting is the abstinence of physical food for spiritual purposes. And, um, you know, the world actually has... There's... Uh, health benefits to fasting and so forth, but this is not at all what this is referring to. This is talking about fasting for spiritual food, uh, uh, spiritual purposes. In so many ways, whether we'd like to admit it or not, we're addicted to food, and that's probably one reason it's so hard. Another reason is the church has largely ignored this teaching, and even fewer of us do it. So I want to spend some time this morning looking at these two aspects, prayer and fasting, and we're only going to skim the surface of what the Bible has to teach about this. Starting back in Genesis, we see the perfect creation of the world. We're created in the image of God. He's our supreme and creator God. We are a unique reflection of God. We are utterly reliant on God, and we are ultimately responsible to God. And those are some very critical things to keep in mind as we consider why prayer and fasting are so important. We reflect a bit of the character of God whether we like to admit it or not, we are reliant on God. We do not think about this. But literally, my next breath is reliance on God. Whether spoken or unspoken, whether acknowledged or not, our every breath is a gift from God, and we will answer to Him. And we desperately need prayer. <clears throat> In Genesis, we see that the appeal of sin... And selfishness is incredibly strong. In chapter 4, only a chapter after the fall, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Tragic story. Just at the end of that chapter, the remedy to sin and selfishness is seeking God. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So they saw that they need to look to God if they're going to overcome this tug and appeal for sin and selfishness. So is all prayer acceptable to God? Uh, sometimes we struggle with why is it that my prayers don't seem like they go anywhere. Sometimes we wonder 
our prayers heard by God. Proverbs makes it clear the prayers of the righteous are acceptable to God. Verse 29 of chapter 15. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. He hears the prayer of the righteous. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. Now, sometimes, like I said, we may wonder why our prayers aren't heard. This is something to keep in mind. The prayers of the disobedient are described as abhorrent to, the, to God. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. So maybe the question we should ask ourselves, if it doesn't feel like our prayers are heard, what is it that might be standing between me and God? Where am I being disobedient? For our main text this morning, I wanted to turn to Matthew 6, and we're going to start in verse 5. Appreciate Ivan pointing uh, us here already. And we're going to look at various aspects of this. Reading verses 5 through 8 to start with here. Jesus speaking, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as Gentiles do, for they think that, that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. thought about asking you um, to do a little exercise here, uh, but I'm not, I'm not going to, but do it in your mind. If somebody were to ask you, or if you were to tell the person sitting next to you, why do you pray, what would you tell them? Why is it that we pray? And I'm going to look at several aspects uh, that uh, I see, uh, and it's not tied directly to these pa- this passage, but it's certainly related to it. Uh, we see it in here. First of all, we pray to express the depth of our daily need for God. Do we recognize that our daily need for God? Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Our time of need is every day. Another uh, aspect of this is that we can do nothing without God. John 15:5 I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And prayer is an expression of humility. Prayerlessness is evidence of pride. Remember the question I asked you at the beginning? How many of us struggle with prayerlessness? 
Prayerlessness is an evidence of pride in our lives because we are not relying on who God is. This is probably the part that grabbed me about the most. Uh, just the awareness that it's because of my self-reliance, my pride, that we don't pray, that I don't pray. Maybe another way of asking is this, why don't we pray? And, you know, I've noticed that sometimes people are very reluctant to lead out in prayer publicly, here or in other settings. Why is that? I think part of it is pride. It's not humility. Humility is when we come and our needs, we pour out our needs and our just our, our nothingness before God. Then, um, Lord, teach me to pray. That's our confession. In Luke 1, 11, 1, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And uh, so that's part of it, is that we, we need to learn how to pray. Second aspect is that we pray to explore the mystery of intimacy with God. The primary goal of prayer is not to get something. And I think that's probably a misconception many of us have. But the primary goal of prayer is to know someone. And that someone is God. We should set aside a time. We should go to a place. We should receive the reward that comes with that. Hudson Taylor made this comment, made this statement. Whatever is your best time of the day, give it to communion with God. Thomas Brooks, in talking about a place, Christ choosing solitude for private prayer doth not only hint to us the danger of distraction and deviation of thoughts in prayer, but how necessary it is for us to choose the most convenient places we can for private prayer. Our own fickleness and Satan's restlessness call us to get into such places that we may freely pour out our soul to God. The whole thing of distractions and uh, so, uh, wandering thoughts is not anything new in prayer. And then the idea of receiving our reward. Um, Matthew 6, 6 says, When you pray, go to your room, shut the door, pray to your Father, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And, and part of that reward is, like Charles Dates puts it, prayer is not merely a way of getting more things from God, but prayer is a way of getting more from God himself. What more reward do we want? And then the third aspect, we pray to experience the power of, the, of being used by God. <clears throat> we get the help, God gets the glory. And uh, that is something that uh, we can certainly be grateful for. John 14 says, Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Moving on to verse 9 of chapter 6. Pray then like this. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be that your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Ivan alluded to this already, but we pray to God the Father, our Father which art in heaven. Do we really, do we really grasp that? Do we get that? Do we understand that? David Platt pointed out, and I didn't do this research myself, but 15 time, only 15 times uh, this the Father, God the Father, could be translated kind of colloquially like Daddy. Um, that's the context of what our, our pray to the, our Father which art in heaven, Daddy which is in heaven, is kind of how we're praying. Fifteen times, only fifteen times in the Old Testament is a word of that meaning used throughout the Old Testament. And none of those times does it refer to God. On the other hand, more than, or he said 165 times the word father or daddy is used in the New Testament, and most of those refer to God. And so this is something that is, that is important. And, it, you know, he's not like our earthly father. We're sinful. He's good. We have limited wisdom. He has infinite wisdom. We have imperfect love, but he has perfect love. But we do know that our Father cares for us and about us. And uh, in a perfect way. He loves us, understands us, forgives us, provides for us, disciplines us, leads us, indwells us. He has all authority. Um, our Father is always approachable. You know, God is excited in revealing himself to those that are bold enough to bother him. He wants to reveal himself. He invites us to what we would consider bothering him anytime. You know, it's never too early or too late, in the middle of the day or night. Um, and he invites us to bother him with everything. You know, there's nothing too big or too small. And God, our Father, is always active. He's never asleep. He uh, is waiting to allow us, or he's inviting us to participate with him in the provision of others through prayer. And he's never, ever in vain. Now here's probably what you were waiting for, the secret of prayer. And uh, it's, in, uh, it's, it's quite straightforward. First of all, make your wants, God's wants. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So desire what God desires. And then secondly, ask for whatever you want. So make your wants, God's wants, and then ask for whatever you want. John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But it's as our wants are aligned with God's wants that that becomes true. 
What do we pray for? And here, so we're continuing on in the Lord's Prayer. Ask for God's glory in Matthew, in verses 9 and 10. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're asking that God be glorified. He's our great God, and our consistent cry should be to cause people to hallow the name of God, to bring people to submit to his kingdom, to enable people to obey his will. We're to ask for gifts. Give us this day our daily bread. Um, You know, he daily satisfies our hunger. Jesus said in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then he also sustains our faith. In Deuteronomy 8, and he humbled you and let hunger let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord that was an act of faith every night when the children of Israel went to bed that manna would be there the next morning but he sustains us he satisfies our hunger and he sustains our faith then in Continuing on in the Lord's Prayer, ask God for his grace. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We should experience his, great, his forgiveness continually. We should experience it specifically. And I don't know what just happened. Um, sorry about that. We should experience his forgiveness continually and specifically. Psalm 66, 18 says, uh, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And we should extend his forgiveness to others. Hold on one second here, and I'll try to get this going again. Apologies. And I don't know why that is doing that. <clears throat> we may just have to continue without that. We're to extend his forgiveness to others. Uh, if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. And then... Uh, Continuing on, ask God for his guidance. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God protects us amidst any temptation that we face. There's no temptation that Christ has not faced, and he gives perseverance among the trials that we encounter. David Platt had a very good way of thinking about and remembering what prayer and fasting is, and I'll share those this morning. First of all is simply the acronym prayer. And what does it mean? Praise. We should praise God and worship God for who he is. And this is eternal life that you know that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
We should praise God for his character and his attributes. Trust God for his promises in scripture and thank God for his saving work in Christ. Spend time just thinking about who God is and thanking him uh, and, and just simply pouring out our hearts in adoration of who he is as creator, almighty creator God. Then we're to repent. Confess your sins to God and acknowledge your need for Jesus. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Acknowledge your failure to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Acknowledge your failure to love others as you love yourself. Ask for God's forgiveness and cleansing. Ask for the Holy Spirit's grace and power to walk in obedience. So there, that's the R. Then we're to ask. Intercede for specific needs in your life and the lives of others. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So pray for those around us, whether it's family members, church leaders, members, government leaders, missionaries, ministries, unbelievers, persecuted believers, unreached people groups, the list could go on and on. But, um, but think about and ask on behalf of those. It's not that it's not about us, but it's also we're coming alongside God and asking him to work in other people's lives. Then lastly, yield. Surrender your life to following Jesus wherever and however he leads you. In Acts 20, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel, the grace of God. So, questions like, what will it mean to walk in obedience to God's word at home, at work, at school, today? How can I serve and care for the body of Christ? How can I meet urgent spiritual and physical needs in my community? How can I meet urgent and spiritual needs and physical needs wherever I may be? So there you have it. Pray. Praise, repent, ask, and yield. Just some practical. Pray scripture back to God. Consider different postures in praying. Consider some structure. Pray for different needs on different days of the week. But let concentrated times in prayer fuel the continual time in prayer for us. Continuing on in Matthew 6, verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that they 
that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Notice it says, well, when he started out the Lord's Prayer, he said, when you pray. Here he says, when you fast. It's not if you fast. And I, if the same is true for giving. The very first part of it is when you give. And so fasting is so basic, I believe, it's a command for following Jesus. It's no different than giving or praying. And it's fixed on seeking the Father. That's what it's about. We don't fast so others see us. We don't fast to get attention, but we do it so that we might know God better. The way David Platt described it, fasting is feasting on fellowship with God. Now, I'm um, not going to spend much time going through this, but the, there's no record of the disciples fasting while Jesus was here. And part of the reason is, I think, because Jesus was here. The Messiah was here. So why should disciples of Jesus fast now? Because Jesus ascended, recorded in Acts 1, and those who celebrate the ascension of the king now crave the consummation of the kingdom. More than we want our hunger to cease, we want God's kingdom to come. More than we want our stomachs to be full, our souls long to see Christ. And Jesus said, surely he's coming quickly. And if you look ahead in Revelation 19, it says that we have the marriage feast of the Lamb. We will be feasting when we're together with glory. But fasting is a way of showing that we're waiting for our king, for the bridegroom to come. We're waiting. We're anxiously waiting. And we're anticipating that time. Similar to prayer, a simple way of remembering what fasting is about. Psalm 63, verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as, the, as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. The F for fast, focus on God. Secondly, abstain from food. And, um, you know, another way of rewarding these first two might be is that I need God more than I need food would be another way of describing this. And scripture is clear. It is abstaining from food. It is not a technology fast. It is not a whatever other chocolate fast or whatever. It is food. And then, importantly, too, to substitute the time that we would eat spending time with prayer, in prayer and study. And then just see what God does for us. Psalm 34, verses 8 to 10. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him will have no lack. The young lions suffer and want hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So why fast? Several things to think about because we're hungry for God's word in our lives. 
We're hungry for God's power in the church. We're hungry for God's glory in all the nations. And so to express our delight and also to express our delight in God's goodness, more than we enjoy food, we enjoy God. We confess our need for God's grace. More than a meal, we need his mercy. To seek and submit to God's will, more than our, wanting our hunger to cease, we want his kingdom to come and to anticipate the return of God's Son. More than our stomachs to be full, our souls long to see Jesus Christ. It's a way of showing that we want to do that. Just a practical pointer on this, D.L. Moody said, if you say, I will fast when God lays it on my heart, you never will. You are too cold and indifferent to take the yoke upon you. And uh, that's a good reminder for, for me. And uh, there's no reason why you can't start this important practice this week. A church devoted to prayer. I think all of us have probably been envious of the early church and the success of that. Three times in the first six chapters, we see a picture of what this is, I think, a clue to why it was this way. Verse 14 of chapter 1. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And then Acts 6, which was the text for our leadership time together this morning, uh, Tuesday morning. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Focus more on the leaders, but each one of us are leaders in our respective arenas. The believers of the early church were utterly dependent on God's power. They were desperate for God's grace, and they were dedicated to God's mission. And a couple of quotes to help us think through this. A devoted church or a church devoted to prayer, devotion to prayer springs from dependence on God's power. Jonathan Edwards said this, when God has something very great to accomplish for his church, it is his will that there, sh that there should precede it the extraordinary prayers of his people. So if nothing great is happening, maybe it's because we're not praying for it. A lengthy quote, uh, well, first of all, so the desperation for God's grace is another aspect. And the, so here's a longer quote from Charles Spurgeon. And this is the second thing that just really convicted me the other night. If a church is to be what it ought to be for the purposes of God, we must train it to be, train it in the holy art of prayer. Churches without prayer meetings are grievously common. Even if there were only one such, it would be one to weep over. In many churches, the prayer meeting is, the, is only the skeleton of a gathering. The form is kept up, but the people do not come. There is no interest, no power in connection with the meeting. Oh, let it not be so with you. Do train the people to continually meet together for prayer. Rouse them to incessant supplication. There is a holy art to it. Study to show yourselves approved by the prayerfulness of your people. If you pray yourself, you will want them to pray with you and for you and for the work of the Lord. 
They will want to be, and they will want more prayer for themselves, and the appetite will grow. Believe me, if a church does not pray, it is dead. Instead of putting unified, united prayer last, put it first. Everything will hinge upon the power of prayer in the church. R.A. Torrey said this, We are too busy to pray, and so we are too busy to have power. We have a great deal of activity, but we accomplish little. Many services, but few conversions. Much machinery, but few results. And then also a dedication to God's mission. So devotion comes out of a dependence of God's power, desperation for God's grace, and dedication to God's mission. Coming back to and summing up prayer. God is calling us to lives of prayer and fasting. I'm sorry, uh, I have these quotes first. A.W. Pink, most Christians expect little from God, ask little, and therefore receive little, and are content with little. And then Philip Brooks, prayer is not conquering God's reluctance, but is taking hold of God's willingness. God's calling each of us to lives of prayer and fasting, lives that are utterly dependent on who he is, lives that are yielded to what he wants to accomplish, and participants in his work in the world, accessing the power that's available to each one of us. And what is unique about this is so often we make prayer about ourselves and what we get out of it or what it, how we benefit from it. But notice all of this, it's about who God is and what he wants. And I wonder if that's not why prayer is so hard or why we don't do it well. It's because we're looking at it for what we get out of it versus what God wants to do through lives of prayer and fasting. I'd like for us to just take a minute and to pray silently. Coming back to this slide and just to think about what it is that God is convicting you of or that God would like to do uh, what God is showing you here this morning and just allow you to bring it to the Lord in prayer. Why don't we stand together and we'll just uh, spend a moment of silence and then I will close so much for who you are. You are the creator of the universe. And yet you care about each and every one of us. And not only do you care for us, but you invite us. You want us to be participants with you in your work around the world. And Lord, I just pray this morning that you would give us hearts that begin to see what it is that you want to do in and through us. The power that is available through us and to us, all because of the redemptive work of Christ on the cross and that we have our relationship restored. Thank you that Jesus is interceding for each one of us and I pray that as we come to and, and lift up others in prayer that you will uh, demonstrate 
what you want to do in, in wondrous ways, above what we can imagine or even think. I also ask your forgiveness for my lack of prayer, for our lack of prayer, for my just ignoring what scripture teaches on fasting and um, want to acknowledge that as sin and bring it to you and uh, ask that you would help us to see the value of that and that you would just instill us a, a hunger and a thirst for who you are and for what you want to do through us. We love you and we care for you and just ask that you would be with us as we go from here. In Jesus' name, amen.